The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Sandro is a photographer who's achieved success in a variety of ways. His commercial photography business has allowed him to create and maintain a beautiful studio space in Chicago that includes hiring a team of talented people. It's allowed him to pursue a variety of personal projects, which have helped to define him as a photographer and created even more opportunities for him. His recent collaboration with John Malkovich, in which the actor takes on the roles of subject in some of the world's most iconic portraits, is just one example of that. Sandro also achieved success as a family man, raising a baby girl into a young woman in his role as a single father. And when you look at Sandro's work, it's not just his subject matter or technique that you admire. It's the range of his creativity as a photographer Whether he's photographing celebrities, blues musicians, Cuban boxers, he honors each in a unique and special way. You don't look at his work and identify his photographs by a particular style or lighting approach. It seems as if he's able to take his skills as a photographer and create something that honors his subjects and create something singularly unique to them. It's that respect and empathy that I believe makes him such a unique talent and why he and his work are so worthy of your attention. All right. Well, thanks again for for doing this. I appreciate uh, having the chance to sit down with you. Um, You're so welcome. And thank you for having me on. Love your work. I mean, uh, your work has been on my radar for, 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 for a while and someone suggested me talking to you. I said, yes, I should be talking to this guy. I don't know why I've waited so long. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. One of the things that I like about uh, your your portrait work is is that you really are wonderful at capturing the, the realness of people, whether they're just ordinary people that you've met in the street or in a Cuban gym or whether they are celebrity. I so appreciate the fact that that you sort of tap into the humanity of your subjects in, in, in your work. And that's sort of a rare thing to see, especially with people who make a, a regular practice of photographing prominent people. And some of the things that you're able to elicit from them is sometimes very surprising. And I was wondering, this attention to sort of the nuances of, of people, that, that attention that, that, that ability to pay attention to that level, where does that come from? Was there something about you growing up that, that led you to be really observant about how people behave that's, that's helped you in your role as a photographer? Yeah, you know, I think, I think you've hit on a really, really great point there. I, I mean, it, it's hard to describe, you know, when people ask me how do I you know, become, make, make my sitter so comfortable and feel so readily to give me something that I'm asking of them. And I think a lot of it does come from truly from a very dysfunctional, uh, childhood, you know, losing my father to an automobile accident at four, all the way to, you know, just, you know, on and on and on, uh, the amount of dysfunctionalisms as a child. And so <clears throat> because of those dysfunctions, I, I think I'm just really extremely in tune with my emotions mm-hmm. and how I'm feeling and, you know, how to see pain and how to see joy and how to really be able to, you know, thoroughly make my sitter feel exa- very, very, very comfortable and give me the real them. You know, so many people, when they come, you know, whether, whether it's a celebrity or even somebody that is maybe just fresh off the streets into my studio, we put on a, some type of a face that's not the real us. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I, I want them to drop that facade and give me the real them. And I do that, I, I believe, by making them feel very, very comfortable with me. Somebody like that maybe they have known for a long time, a brother, a sister, a mother, but some somebody that 
that they feel so safe with that they are able to go deep into their gut and really let go when I ask of something for them. And for me, it's easy for me to to go to those places in my life that makes me sad or makes me happy or makes me remember something that just really hurt me. Uh, you know, whatever emotion I'm trying to capture from my sitter, I can get into that place in my life. And I think that really helps draw uh, the true, true, real person uh, out of my sitter. I've read that you like to take their hand uh, when you initially get into contact with them. And I, I think that that physical contact beyond just a simple handshake helps to sort of broach that. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it, it's a technique that I have used. Um, since, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh-huh. Okay. Good. My screen went there. Uh, you know, it's a technique that I started using about 25 years ago. And, you know, when you, put your hand on somebody very, very softly and they feel that energy that transforms from your heart to their hand to their heart, something happens to people and they just become butter. You know, they melt in your hand. And I've used this with the biggest celebrities, you know, in the world that I've shot. I have used this in, uh, uh, you know, Muslim worlds in in Morocco with the women there who Never, never, never have men uh, approach them or touch them. And I was able to gently touch their hand and diffuse them. And I watched them give me something that I'm sure they've never, ever, ever given anybody else. It works. It's, 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 it's a method. It's a method, you know, and it's mm-hmm. a method that I've always used. And it feels very, very good to me. Um, I'm sure for the sitter, for the very first couple of seconds, it's probably a little alarming to have somebody touch you in such a gentle way in the hand. But I think the world is striving to have love in their life. We all love that beautiful, easy touch. It, it calms us. It's, it comforts us. It makes us feel safe. So it's something that I've used, and it's something that I just really, for me, it's probably a, uh, you know, uh, a characteristic of, of mine that's truly helped me be able to achieve these great, great portraits. Do you find that this approach that you you take with people, not just the the physical contact, helps to make you feel more comfortable, that it helps to assuage some of the nervousness that you may feel in leading up to a a, a session? You know, I I don't really ever feel nervous. Um, Even when I'm shooting a a, a big, big star, I I never get starstruck. I, I, I feel so confident in my... Uh, in my art today, in um, my craft, that I never feel nervous. But, you know, maybe what it is is I need that gentle touch too. Mm. And I think that it helps me get me ready for a shoot. Well, you're, you're incredibly dutiful about all the prep leading up to the shoot. Uh, I think that's made a huge difference in a lot of the photographs that you've made where you literally only have minutes to make, make the photograph. Um where, where does that come from? Is that, that come from your your formal training, or have you always been that sort of methodical person that likes to, you know, uh, dot every I and cross every T before you actually have to do something? <laughs> if my wife was here, she she I'm sure she'd have something to say about that. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a little anal. <laughs> All the chairs in the house line up. You know, all the books are stacked properly and perfectly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, I do my homework. Um, You know, I read about my subjects. I try to find out about them. But uh, with, uh, you know, the people who I surround myself with on every shoot, you know, I always surround myself with the very best that I can for each shoot. Uh, You know, I've I've, I've usually have been working uh, on it on the shot you know, at least the day before we're prepping our light. I, I'm kind of, you know, doing my research on exactly what I want to uh, portray out of this person, how I want to light them, my background. So I go into a photo shoot really, 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 really well prepared. Already have done all my homework. And now I could just concentrate on on my sitter. I can give my sitter 200% of my attention And that's what helps me be able to really connect with them. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's often times where, you know, 
I begin shooting and something doesn't feel right. Maybe the light's just not right uh, or, or maybe the something's just not connecting with me. And I'm able to make those changes. I mean, it's it's not like what I have in mind that I set up from the day four is that's it. And I, and I, I, I no way, you know, venture off of that path of what I've set up. But, you know, I'm quick at being able to change things and make that sitter feel very comfortable while we're making that change. But mm-hmm. again, it's about doing that homework on your person, knowing what you want to achieve and also have like certain phrases that you may want to use with that particular person that's going to help you arise something that allows them to give you that little secret of themselves, which makes the viewer want to know so much more about that person. Yeah. I mean, a great example of that is the the first image that you made of Michael Jordan. And um, you only had minutes with him, but you were able to elicit some remarkable things from him. But in line with what we've just been talking about, can you sort of break down what your whole process was leading up to the moment that he actually walked in front of your camera? How did you prepare for 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 him? Sure, sure. Well, that was uh, that shoot was in, I believe it was 1993, 1994-ish. Michael was, uh, you know, at the top of his game. He was a mega, mega, mega star. And he was being pulled in all different kinds of directions. And I remember being called over to this uh, um, this studio in Chicago where they were shooting some TV commercials with Michael. And the agency needed some, some portraits of Michael. And, and, and they were giving me the opportunity to shoot Michael the way I wanted to. No product in hand. It really wasn't for uh, the brand that they were shooting a commercial for. So they said, you know... We want. We need some headshots. We need some really great, powerful headshots of Michael. So I went in the day before, and I virtually set up my light, which, which in the end, is a very simple light. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very simple. Um, but I spent seven hours tweaking that light, and I found somebody that was, you know, exactly Michael's skin tone, uh, about six uh, four. So I had a stand-in for Michael, who was Michael. And we worked on that light and we tweaked it. And then I sat down and I wrote all these words down on this piece of paper that I knew that I didn't know how long I was going to get, Michael. But I knew that I wanted to go through a huge variety of emotions with Michael. And so after seven hours, you know, we were cleared out the studio. You know, it was just me and my assistant. And uh, we didn't even have a hair and makeup person because we knew we weren't going to get that type of time with Michael. Mm-hmm. And I remember Michael walking in and he looked at me and said, Sandro, I'm so sorry. I have three minutes for you. And I said, it's okay, Michael. I said, let's roll. We threw, it, we threw a turtleneck on him. And I went through all of these emotions with Michael. You know, and we were screaming at each other, yelling, and I was yelling words to him. And he would just go in. Of course, we're dealing with Michael Jordan, who has lived with a camera three feet off of his face for the last 10 years. So the camera was part of Michael. He was very, 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 very comfortable in front of a camera. But I remember the one moment where I came to, I said, Michael, right now I have to go to some place that hurts you so bad. And I know you've had a great loss in the, in the last few months of your life. I need you to go back and think about that loss. And he dipped his head down. He thought about his father who was just killed. Mm. And out of the corner of his eye came just the smallest little, little tear. And then we had to move out of that because we went on to the next emotion. It was three minutes and behind me, a crowd of about 25 people had gathered from the film studio because they heard me and Michael working. And I remember we finished, Michael got up and there was a big applause. And I knew that I had just nailed probably the greatest shoot of my career. He gave me everything. He gave me everything. And that's wonderful that you were able to bridge that in that finite period of time. But there was a level of trust that existed between the two of you. I mean, there was. Yeah, you know, there was. And again, it it was, you know, I I, I believe it's that very gentle demeanor Mm -hmm. that um, I use with my subjects. You know, it's always filled with respect. And I don't care if you're some kid coming off the street that I just grabbed off of a basketball court or if you're Michael Jordan. I'm going to give you the same type of respect yeah. because that's what I believe people, you know, that they, that they need in their lives. And when you're asking for somebody to give you something so special of themselves, let me, you know, let me take something from you. You had better give them something back. 
you know, give them respect. And I think part and parcel of that is that you were really clear on what you wanted and that you were able to communicate that to him clearly. You weren't hemming and hawing about, give me something. You were saying, this is what I need. Let's work towards making that happen. Yeah. And again, Michael's a pro. You know, he he knows I have a job to do. And he's, you know, back then, Michael just gave 200% at everything he did. You know, I, I did 72 shots in three minutes. Those shots went all over the world, covers of magazines, Nike ads, Rayovac ads, Haynes ads, magazine covers. I mean, that was the most productive three minutes I ever had in my career. Well, when you started off your your career, you were working as an assistant, and, and when you opened up your studio, you were doing a lot of still life stuff, which in in the end wasn't really satisfying. And you eventually sort of broached the realm of doing portraits of, of the type that you just just described. Um, what what do you think was key to allow you to make that that transition? Because a lot of people will get started in a particular genre of photography that they, they, they're not particularly passionate about, but that pays the bills, and they'll find themselves 10, 15 years later still doing that same thing. So how were yeah. you able to sort of make the leap from something sure. that was you know, providing you a reasonable income to do, doing something that you really loved? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back just a little further into, in, into my career. I, when I was 16 years old, you know, I remember I had purchased an, an American photography magazine and I opened the pages of that magazine and, and I didn't know who he was at the time, uh, Irving Penn. And I saw two amazing portraits by Irving Penn. One was Picasso mm-hmm. and one was the, the poet, the French poet Colette. And I looked at these two pages. It was a spread in the magazine. It was two portraits, full full page bleed. And I went, wow, yeah. what am I looking at here? I mean, I didn't know Irving. I didn't know Picasso. I didn't know Colette. But I can tell you by the end of the day, I knew a lot about all three of them because those portraits were so powerful. They made me want to know who these people were. I was moved by the dramatic light. I was moved by the intensity of the portrait, the, the, the stare that both of these sitters gave Irving Penn. And truly, that was the defining point in my life because that it was that day that made me want to become a photographer. And it was people photography. Well, you know, as you get into photography, you kind of have to get in there and, and sometimes take whatever you can get. And, you know, I started working out for probably one of the greatest, greatest tabletop photographers in the world, David Deal. And I, I learned a lot from David. I learned the business. I learned, I learned about lighting. Um, I left David after about four years, opened my own studio and found myself shooting product. But there was something missing. You know, it, 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 I was so far off track of why I had really gotten into this business. And yeah, I was making a lot of money. You know, I was making stupid money. But you know what? It didn't matter because there was something missing in my soul. I just wasn't getting the satisfaction and money doesn't satisfy you. You know, you have to do what you have a passion for. And my passion was to connect with people and to photograph people in a way that I would move other people. And I remember it's just like I, 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 you know, I went home, you know, another big, big, big paycheck, you know, to deposit into the bank account. And I go, I'm not happy. And I said, I've got to get back to why I got into photography for. So I started shooting people. It was almost the next day. I started call, calling friends and calling people in. And, and then I got really connected into the, into the Chicago blues scenes. And I mean, everybody in the blues world was coming to Chicago. And I made a couple of good contacts. And I was able to photograph, you know, a lot of these super, super, super great blues guys who, you know, if you take a look at a blues guy, man, talking about people who have novels in their mm-hmm, face, yeah. these guys faces. They've been on the road for most of their lives. They've had maybe a difficult upbringing. They come from, you know, that time of life when just, it just wasn't fair. And it's still today, the same thing, but they had these beautiful, beautiful novels on their face. So I was grabbing these great, great, great portraits of these, you know, Junior Wells, Buddy Guy, John Lee Hooker, Charlie Musselwhite, you know, everybody who was in the blues business. And I kind of turned my, turned my life around, turned my career around. I started showing that work and I got some, some, you know, notoriety from doing that work. And there I was, I was off and running, finally doing what my heart told me to do. And that's shooting people. 
And, and these personal projects have, have defined you as much as the commercial work that you've gotten. Um, it's amazing to look at your personal work and to see how diverse it is in terms of subject matter, in terms of approach. Uh, it's, I, I don't often see that in, in a photographer who has created a career for themselves. They usually are defined by a, a singular thing. But I look at your work and it's wonderful to see the, the range of stuff that happens there. How, how important is that to you for, for defining who you are as a photographer? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, my education is, you know, I'm, I'm self-taught. And uh, I have a collection of about 800 photography books, which um, I spend so much time with. You know, I dissect them. And I am genuinely in love with photography, not just portrait photography, but I, I, I love photojournalism. Um, you know, I love fashion. I love documentary photography. Uh, and I, of course, of course, I love portraiture. But I spend so much time with so many of these books and I'm moved. You know, I am so moved by what Sebastiano Salgado has done in his life. It just blows my mind. I'm blown away by, you know, the Gary Winograds, uh, you know, just August Sanders, David LaChapelle, so different than anybody else. You know, I'm just really moved by this work. And I feel like I just want to go out there and shoot, you know, put a camera in my hand and I am at home. I, I feel safe. I feel like I know what to do with it. I know how to connect to people. You know, you know, I've studied uh, Henry Cartier-Bresson. I know about the decisive moment. I know about waiting for the light, you know, so it's just for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I am so ever happy with a camera in my hand, either walking streets or in my studio with a sitter in front of me. And it's just been so important for me just to these personal projects. I've been blessed. I've been blessed with a great, great, great commercial career, which allows me to go out there and, 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 you know, there's, there's all these, always these tuggings at my heart, you know, these curiosities. I want to know more about bikers. Okay, so let's go out and shoot bikers. Mm -hmm. I want to know about bullfighting because I just got done reading three Hemingways about bullfighting. So let me go out and find out about bullfighting. You know, Cuba. You know, I've been hitting people been hitting me over the head with you know all this the politics of Cuba. Well, let me go over there to Cuba fourteen times and find out what I feel about the politics of Cuba. So I go over there and I shoot it and I define my 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 myself, but I also take care of these curiosities that I have. You know, I've just recently got back from Papua New Guinea. I was there shooting the indigenous tribes. I mean, that's been this this hole in my soul going, God, what's happening to these indigenous tribes? I, I, I need to go record them. I need to go photograph them be, before they're gone. You know, you know, missionaries have been going there for 400 years. They're changing all of their rituals. You go over there now and you, you'll see one out of every three tribe member wearing a damn Nike shirt. Mm. You know, so I got to get over there and I've got to record it now. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's just a tugging at my, at my heart to, to, you know, to do this photography, but I'm just moved by so many different great, 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 great photographers. And, you know, I, I just, I just throw myself in there and, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, I guess to be the very, very, very best at what you want to do. I mean, I think a lot of photographers really just concentrate on one genre of photographer, but you know, for me, I, I just feel like, you know, I'm not always out there shooting for people. I'm out there shooting for myself, you know, again, to take care of my needs. And that's where I think the, uh, you know, the wide, wide, wide range of, of, of styles that you'll see in my work. Well, I want to talk about several of these, um, these personal projects. But before I get to that, I, one of the challenges I wanted to, to talk to you about was this, was the idea that you were a single dad for a, a, a large amount of the time that you were, you know, building the, your photographic career. Yeah. And there's so many photographers who have reached your level of, of, of success who have not been particularly good in terms of their family life. And yeah. I know that it was a very important part of, of your life, not just yeah. a creative one. And I, and I'm, I would, if you, if you don't mind sharing a little about, what that was like for you and and how you had to think about all the things that you were aspiring to in, in your creative and your professional life, but also, you know, raising a, raising a girl. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a very, very challenging time of my life. You know, I was I was raised by a single mom. Um, you know, and, and my mom taught me love. And I, I mean, she, she was the greatest gift uh, that I ever received in my life was having a mom like I did. And, you know, I married very, very, very young. And, you know, it was the 70s and there was a lot of stuff going on and I was involved in stuff and she was involved in stuff. And, you know, things just weren't weren't right. We were way too young to be married. And, um, you know, we had a child at 22 years old, 23 years old. And um, my daughter's mom just really wasn't ready to, you know, to be to be a mom. It was just uh, too many things going on. And, uh, you know, and I just couldn't even imagine not being with with my daughter. And I had started, you know, I just started my own business and had my own studio. And I knew that um, I knew it was going to be a challenge. And my daughter was 11 months old when her mother decided to leave. And, uh, you know, thank God I had a wonderful mom close by who helped me during those early, early days. But my daughter taught me so much about life, about uh, uh, women, girls, you know, the, the, the emotions. She taught me so much about love. And in some ways, I look at, this, at, at really my daughter saved my life because of a lot of the dysfunctions that that I myself was going through. Mm. You know, I gave a lot of things up when I, after I held that baby. And uh, it was a challenging, challenging time. But, you know, we persevered through. And, uh, you know, I split my life between uh, my daughter and my work. And, you know, I, I made sure that I was on an airplane to see every one of those cheerleading contests and every play she was in and, you know, go to those PTA teacher meetings and do what I needed to do. But in the long in the long end, you know, I'm the one who won. You know, I won because I was able to raise a, a beautiful, beautiful child who taught me so much, who now has given me two great grandchildren, you know. So it's just really, really, really a beautiful thing. And I recall, you know, kind of the hardest moments were when my agents were trying to get me to move to New York and say, hey, you know, come to New York, we'll make you a superstar. And it was, yeah, yeah, I know I could come to New York and we could be a superstar. And then what, bring my daughter? with me and have a nanny raise her. I just decided, you know, against it. And I stayed in Chicago and uh, I'm very happy I did. Yeah. Cause you are known as a Chicago photographer. And like you say, most people are known for being on the West coast or in New York or in Paris or something like that. Uh, what, what was one of the advantages that you did have by staying where you were? I mean, besides, you know, the, the ability to have the support of your mom and raising your daughter, but professionally, what did you see an advantage of being out there in the Midwest? <laughs> well, you know, it, Chicago is a very, 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 very tough city to be a star in. You know, when you've got when you've got the two coasts, when you're in between two coasts that produce, you know, a, a lot of really major, major, major big photographers, and it, you know, it, we have a stigma, you know, in Chicago as, as you know the second city and. You know, it, it was a it was a very difficult mold for me to break here. That you can come in, in you know Chicago, or I can come from Chicago, and I could do your your big 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 brand campaign. And I think it took like, the winning of a lot of awards and the recognition of my work. You know, for ten years before I was really really considered probably a, a you know a superstar. It, it was difficult. It wasn't easy. I mean, it, yeah, yes, my mom was the big plus you know, the help of my mother. Uh, but the other big, big plus was, you know, I've got a, you know, I got a six, 7,000 square foot studio, you know, and that's very difficult to have on either one of the coasts. My studios helped me produce a lot of my, um, you know, my, my personal work. I've always had a place to shoot in, you know, a place that to call home, you know, and when I bring clients in from anywhere in the world, they come to my studio, they're in awe of how beautiful it is. So I think they, you know, uh, being able to, you know, you know, break the barriers and become a, uh, a known superstar internationally and people leaving that stigma that Chicago is a second city behind when it came to my work that, uh, you know, it's now, now I love it. It's absolutely, you know, and I'm on an airplane constantly. So, you know, being right in, in between the two coasts, it makes it a lot easier for me to get to either coast. But you know, I'm, I'm glad I stayed. It was worth it for my daughter. I put her through some really nice schools here, and we got to spend a lot of great, 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 great time together. So, 
even though there were some things that you give up, I think you have to give up things in life to gain other things. What would you say are some of the things that you've given up in order to, to, to get Well, I think the biggest thing that I've given up staying in Chicago is probably the chance to, you know, become like a, a very, very, very well-known editorial photographer. I would have loved to have done a lot more editorial. You know, I'm considered a, you know, uh, you know, one of the top advertising photographers in the world. And, you know, advertising is great, you know, brings in, you know, a lot of cash flow. But you you miss, you know, editor, with editorial, you're able to get out there and kind of do a little bit more of your own work, you know, and, you know, the covers of great, great magazines. You know, I, I guess, the, the, you know, I feel like uh, uh, Vanity Fair, I've, I've missed Vanity Fair. You know, I've, I've, I think that the, that's, you know, a, a publication that I would have liked to have been a big part of and would have liked to have given them a, uh, you know, a lot of my time and, you know, we've been in talks, but I think the, uh, the fact that I'm in Chicago, uh, is very difficult for them to give me assignments. Mm. So it's the, it's the editorial work probably more than anything. You know, I've broken, I've broken the, the advertising stigma there. I work for all the big, big, big agencies out of New York. Um, but it's the loss of the editorial. One of the things I'm sure you get peppered a lot are by people who are trying to start off their careers in terms of students saying, you know, what, what do I need to do in order to, you know, start my career as a, as a photographer. But one of the things I'm really curious to hear from you is the fact that you've been around for a while I and mean, you've gone through all the different waves and, you know, economic conditions in this country that's, you know, put a lot of photographers out to, to, to pasture. And... What what do you think have been your strengths and your choices that have allowed you to continue to not only have a financially successful business, but more importantly, have the means by which you could continue to pursue the stuff that you really are in love with? Well, I, you know, I, I would say for a, a young photographer, number one is you have to have tremendous passion and tremendous love for what you do. You know, photography is part of my life every single day, um, you know, in some way or another, I, I, I make it part of my life, you know, whether I'm vis- visiting a museum, a gallery, uh, you know, doing a podcast or listening to podcasts or going online researching or looking at one of my books or creating a, um, some, uh, another personal project, you know, really, really, really divulging yourself and, and, and being very serious about, you know, your work and, and loving what you do every single day. I mean, that's helped keep me here because, I, you know, I've never worked a day in my life because I'm a photographer, because I'm doing exactly what I love to do. But, you know, I think secondly is, is for young photographers is, is about building a brand, B- build your, you know, build your name as a brand, you know, make sure that as your career uh, grows, that you're growing your brand, that you, uh, you make yourself known to the, uh, the genre of people that you want to be working for, you know, and that means by advertising, you know, spent, you, I think every photographer needs to spend anywhere between 10 and 15% of their yearly earnings right back into the business to advertise yourself. You also have to get into those award shows, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to go into these award shows. Yeah. You're going to spend five, $600. You're not going to win. It's going to, it's going to, you know, break you down and go, oh, I, these award shows are all jaded or whatever. It's not true. You need to continue to put work in, in these award shows and the award shows are places where your work are being seen with all the great photographers in the world. And now if you're repeatedly in these award books and the creative directors, the art directors, you know, the, the, the producers of big, big companies see your work and you see, see you're in there consistently, well, you have just moved into that genre of photographers that people want to work with. So you really have, you have to give it a lot. I mean, I always tell people it's like becoming an NBA basketball player. You know, one in 10 million people who want to be an NBA basketball player make it. You know, in photography, to be a great photographer, it's the same way. You know, it's easy today to, yeah, just to put a, a, an image on Instagram and boom, you know, you think you're a photographer. But it's, it's really, that's not true. You know, to become a photographer, you've really got to, you've got to move people year after year after year. You've got to have a great idea, you know. So, and, and, I, and I constantly, when I'm talking to young people, I'm lecturing, I think, think about the idea that you're putting out there. Give it an idea. Have something, some thought behind it. And, and also, you know, projects take a long time. Projects can't be done overnight. You know, we're in a I want it now society. And people don't take the time to really, really, really devolve themselves for six months, a year, two years, 10 years 
into a project, you know, and that's what you have to do to make great projects today. And it will be those great, great projects that you do that get you known for your work. So, you, you know, you got to be, you, you got to be really, really, really proficient and, and really put yourself into it every single day. Were you able to sort of adhere to that, that philosophy, especially with the investment in advertising and promotion, when things slowed down, when things got tight, did did you have any trouble in terms of of sticking to that that sort of approach in terms of promoting yourself and creating your brand and and creating awareness of what you were doing? Um, I'd say uh, no. I mean, did we sometimes fall into financial difficulty? You know, I run a big staff here. I got a huge overhead, and, and all of a sudden you go, you know, a month or two without work. You know. And, and especially during the times when, um, you know, our country was, um, you know, in not doing well uh, financially, there, you know, every photographer suffered. But I really believe that's the best time to, to be doing personal project. I also believe that's the best time to advertise your name and, and, and buy some pages in, in a source book and get your work out there. It's going to come back. You know, you can't you, you can't rest on on. And what you've done, you've got to continue to move forward. I always found when it got slow, great. I got time to do some personal work now, you know. And, and I've got so many. I, I mean, I've got I've got just list and list of different personal projects that I want to shoot, and I write those down when I come up with ideas. So when it gets slow commercially, I just open up this little book and I start a personal project. You know, not every personal project I do, I have to hop on an airplane and bring a crew you know, to Papua New Guinea or to Morocco or to Spain, you know, I could do personal projects right here in my hometown. They cost me hardly anything. I think you've got to be consistent and you've got to believe, you know, uh, in yourself and, and, and get out there and, and do the work. You've got to create new work because I've done, you know, thousands of award-winning shots that I've been given acclimates for, but I can't live on those. I've got to move forward because they want to know what's new, what's next. Mm -hmm. You, 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 know, you have done so many personal projects that I could talk to you endlessly about, but I, I want to talk about the, the one you did more, more recently with uh, John Malkovich, who you developed a friendship with as a result of the work that you did with the Steppenwolf Theater that has this wonderful ensemble of, of actors, uh, of which John Malkovich is, is, is one. T tell us about your initial uh, forays with him making his photographs and how that eventually led to this collaboration where you basically recreated these wonderful images of classic photographers uh, with the roles of the various sitters being John Malkovich. Yeah, well, you know, John has been my muse now for almost 18 years. I remember it was about 18 years uh, ago that he walked into my studio. I had to do a portrait session with him for the great Steppenwolf Theater uh, based here out of Chicago. And John and I just hit it off. I mean, um, I did this really, really, really powerful series of black and white photographs with, with John. Just pulled a lot of emotion out of him. You know, really gutsy, dramatically lit portraits. And, you know, I saw somebody in front of me give me, give me something that I'd never seen anybody else give me. John understood light. He understood the camera. He understood direction so well. And... It was just, it was a magical moment. I remember it was some of the, you know, one of the best sessions I'd ever had. And when John saw the work, he reached out and said how much he really, really, really loved the work. Well, that started our 18-year-old, our 18-year photo session. You know, whenever John would come into Chicago, we'd reach out to each other and uh, find out what his time frame was. And John would say, I can give you a day on so-and-so. And, -so. and you know, my brain would then go to work and start thinking of thing, different things I wanted to do with John. John was, a, John was this beautiful white canvas that walked into my studio and said, paint on me, Sandro. Do whatever you want to do. You know, he didn't, want, he didn't walk in here with, with PR agents and said, no, you can't do that. No, you can't dress him like that. No, you can't ask him to do that. I mean, John was so open and so free. He let me do whatever I wanted to do with him. And because of that, you know, we have a book coming out by Glitterati publishing company out of New York that'll come out in uh, first week of January called uh, the Malkovich Sessions. And it's about 167 portraits. So that work with John, you know, all, you know, was, it, it just, we just had a great, 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 uh, um, you know, 18 years of shooting. And then about three and a half years ago, 
<clears throat> I came down with a stage four cancer. And, you know, when you have, when you have something that is life changing and something that you don't know for sure that you're going to, to be able to, you know, to move through or whether you're going to be here tomorrow or not, you have a lot of time to think. And I started thinking about my career. I started thinking about the people that influenced me to, and have helped me become a great, great photographer. And I just was in my mind, I wanted to say thank you to these great masters who had inspired me to, you know, become somewhat of a great photographer myself. And I started thinking about maybe paying homage to them. And I'd look back and, and I started thinking, I started jotting down in my mind, the great, great shots were that were in the top of my head by these great photographers. And it, so I came up with about 40 images. And I remember getting on an airplane, flying to the south of France to go sit down with John to talk to him about this idea that I had. And uh, I showed him, you know, exactly what was on my mind. And I showed him great shots by, you know, Warhol, Annie Leibovitz, Abaddon, Penn, Karsh, Watson, Serrano. And I said, John, I want to pay homage to these masters. I want to thank them for what they've given me over the years. You know, I've been doing this for nearly 40 years. I said, these shots here, they're just embedded in my mind. And every time I see these shots, it's just like my knee buckles. They're just, they're so iconic and so powerful. You know, they're the kind of shots that you wish you would have created yourself. And I said, I'd like to say thank you to these great, great photographers. I'd like to know, would you participate with me and collaborate with me? And here's the idea. You know, it, was, it would be you becoming the, the, the subject of each one of these shots. And I could just see John, you know, John is a brilliant man. He's got this brilliant mind. And I could just see him start working out the roles inside of his head. You know, his eyes were closed and then he just opened them. He looked over, he goes, I'd love to do it, Sandro. Mm -hmm. And there it was, you know, we were off and running. I did about a year and a half of research. You know, I'd take every single one of these shots. I'd Google them. I'd blow them up on my screen so I could see every little thread that was on the clothing, you know, scars, how the nose was, how their noses were, whatever it was. I mean, I really wanted to, I really wanted to just make these absolutely perfect. You know, I, I felt that if I was truly going to pay homage, I needed to, to, to just do these images to perfection so that Irving would have been proud of them, Abaddon would have been proud of them, you know, and it was a lot of work. But um, in the end, I think we created something that's very memorable, hopefully historic. Um, and together, John and I just really had a great time doing it. What was the hardest part uh, of doing this? Was it deconstructing the images so you could understand how they lit it, lit it for example? Or was it, or was it something else? I'd say the hardest part was probably just, you know, it's, it's difficult when you recreate somebody's shot. You know, um, psychologically, I felt sometimes, you know, what, how is the public going to take this or, or take me or try, or will they understand where I'm coming from here? Or do they think I'm just ripping off? There was a big psychological battle that I mm. had with myself, you know, but once I knew, you know, I knew truly in my heart what I was doing and why I wanted to do it. And I had already had a great career. I didn't need to steal from anybody to, to, uh, to get any more notoriety. I was, you know, I was there, I was, I was producing my own work. I'd already kind of, you know, I had kind of embedded, uh, my name in photography, but if it, once I said, Sandra, you're doing this because you want to say thank you. And, and you want to bring back recognition to these great photographers. You know, today, when I ask a lot of young photographers, you know, have you seen Irving Penn's work? Do you know Avedon? Do you know Karsh? Do you know Edward Curtis? They don't know any of these photographers. You know, they've forgotten them, they, and, 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 and they're, they're not going back and looking at the history of, of, of portraiture. And what I did was I recreated the history of portraiture from 1905 to the current day. And with that, I'm hoping that it's teaching these young people to go back and, and take a look at these photographers that have influenced all of us great portrait photographers. And this is where you need to start. You need to go back into 1860s and, and look when the first portraits were done, you know, in... And hopefully that's what's being done. People are, you know, picking up books, Googling, and, and doing the research of these classic, classic master photographers. You know, one of the stories that, that I, I'd love for you to, to share with our listeners is your portrait session with Muhammad Ali. Um, it was another one of those occasions where you didn't have a whole lot of time. But, yeah. uh, but the connection that you had between 
him and you, I think, was really remarkable. And I think it's a really indication of who you are as not only a photographer, but as a as a person. Well, I have to say, you know, my my little bit of time with with Mohammed was probably the one of the most special moments in my whole life. You know, again, I was only given a few minutes. I knew I was only be given a few minutes to photograph him. It was at a huge, huge event and there was hundreds and hundreds of people there. And they gave me this little corner to set up a little setup for Mohammed. And uh, so I did, you know, got in there, lit it, pre-lit it, and I was all ready for Mohammed. And when the liaison came over and said, Mohammed's ready for you, um, I sat Mohammed down and I said hello to him. And we went right to work. And uh, in a matter of about two, three minutes, I knew I had the shot that I needed. Um, I put the camera down and I walked over to Mohammed and I, and I was very close to him. And I said, Mohammed, I just want to let you know that I watched you my whole life boxing. But what you have done outside of the ring, I love you for. You became an ambassador and you became an icon and a man that has loved so much outside of the ring and you have moved people outside the ring. And I thank you for that. It was something very simple like that. It took me virtually 20 seconds to say to him, I remember turning around and feeling this huge hand on my shoulder. It gripped my shoulder. He turned me around. It was Mohammed. He turned me around. He then put both of his huge hands around my face. He kissed me on my lips and he looked me right in the eye and said, thank you. Those are some of the kindest words anybody has ever said to me. And I just remember, I, I turned around and I started to cry because I just couldn't believe that the warmth that this man had just given me. And it was moving, you know, and it's, it's been those type of moments, those, those few moments like that, you know, that photography has offered me so many gifts. And that spending those few minutes with Muhammad was probably one of the biggest gifts of my whole life. But I think that genuineness, genuineness that he gave you is something that you give to people who work with you. And I think that's, for me, that I think is what makes you a great photographer. I mean, I, lo I, I love looking at your pictures. Thank but you. When I, but when I look at the photographs and I see something that I don't see in, in, other, in other people's work is that fact that, that you give this genu genuineness, genuineness. You're so generous with yourself that I, I get the feeling that the people who have the opportunity to sit in front of you feel that you are you are giving as much to them as you as they're trying to give to to you, and I think that that's I think that's what's what's really key to a really great photographer is 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 that willingness to be able to do that because I think so much about the preoccupation can be with the lighting with the camera with getting all this stuff. Where where the person sitting in front of the camera is just a, it's just a a tool, is just a an element, and not a human being. And it, I think that you bring that to the table, and why your collaborations with Malkovich and and the work that you've done in Cuba and the stuff that you've done with the bikers are such exceptional and lasting work is because you are willing to go there. Thank you. You know, we have one very short life, and. I want to live life in love, you know, in love with people. I love people. Um, I love faces. Um, I generally feel, you know, feelings of empathy when empathy are needed. I feel, you know, joy. I feel, you know, all the things I feel it in, and I, I just want to live this life. I see so many, so many people in pain and so many people hating what they do. And, and I just found when you surround yourself with love and you give love, People are just so willing to give you so much. And it's just been such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful career. And, you know, I just, I, I feel so blessed. Well, my, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Mm, wow. Um, <laughs> God, there's so many, um, kind of caught me off guard there. Let me think here. Well, there's the great Danny Lyons that I, I just saw speak this, uh, this past 
Tuesday at the Lucy Awards. Oh, yeah. And and Danny, I mean, I'm sure you're you're aware of Danny Lyons, but he was just an amazing speaker and 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 moved me so much. And you know, Joe Natchaway, you know, the great great mm-hmm. great photographer who's moved me so 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 much. And, and with the work he's done, how he continues to do the work he does, I have no idea. Um, but there's so many wonderful photographers out there, and uh, you know, I just think that uh, for your listeners, just to you know. Open up the books, you know, Google, you know, Google all these great, 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 great photographers out there and just learn about them. And there's no better way than picking up a book and looking at the Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, where can people go to find out more about you and, and your work? Well, they can go to my website, uh, sandrofilm.com. Uh, it's probably the best place, but, you know, they could always Google me and there's, there's a, a there's more information on the internet about me than I could ever thought. It's just amazing, but pretty easy to find, you know, um, either Sandro Productions or Sandro Photography. Um, my last name is Miller, you know, if they want to Google that, but um, pretty easy to find. Well, thank you so much for your time. It really was an honor and a pleasure to have the opportunity uh, to speak with you. The honor is all mine. Thank you so much. Please remember that you do make a big difference in our show. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store and make a small contribution to the show. It all goes a long way. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and on the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ebody and X, and this is The Candid Frame.